Hey everybody, it's Rajesh here. And Tane here. Welcome to our podcast, Baskets of Knowledge, Chats with a Difference. In our podcast, we invite guests from around the country and around the world to talk about how they got to where they are at the moment. It's about a journey, it's about an experience, it's about their life. Kia ora everybody. Um, welcome back to a very special podcast episode. This is episode number 50. Um, if you had asked us this one year ago, we'd probably be like, oh, what, are you, what are you talking about? Um, Tane, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's crazy to think we got to 50. I feel like, yeah, yesterday that we were on 20, let alone, yeah, still trying to get a few listeners, but here we are. Yeah, awesome, cool. And um, I'm going to ask you a question, not about what you've learned in the last week or so, but what have you learned since we started the podcast, which was about a year ago oh what a tough question yeah hmm i guess i've just learned how vast the stories and experiences are you know we often think about our journey and how how our journey is the only journey but being able to talk to different guests every week and realize that hey you know there's been people out there that have struggled a lot more than you know the struggles that we've gone through in our own journeys and i think that's made me appreciate my journey a lot more as well yeah, and I, and yeah, I, and I agree with that because I think one of my biggest learnings was um, actually getting to listen to the stories and giving them and allowing them, allowing us to listen to them, and then you know giving us space and the the, um, the privilege of telling their story. And I guess, like you said before, everyone has a facade, and behind the facade, there's a whole lot of stories going on, which is really, I mean, the learning is everybody's got a story. That's my my biggest learning. And um, to talk about that and to it's a great way to introduce our our 50th podcast guest is um is a person who well basically this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for his advice at the start with, with Tane and um you know lending us his mic at the start this would have just been a very very different story altogether and we are very privileged and honored to welcome Troy to our podcast thank you Troy for being our 50th guest uh, it's, a, it's a privilege and 50 is a huge milestone like for any any podcast I remember when we started Oh, three years ago now i was like if we get 10 i'd be i'd be so stoked because like the the amount of work that actually goes into planning to talk and especially with a co-host and just your lives that go on but like 50 like, to get through it's like it's a it's a feat nonetheless so i'm very very honored to be here as, as that guest oh, well, thank you very much like i said before it wouldn't have started without your advice right at the start so we really appreciate that and um, before we get into your story, do you want to tell us, tell our listeners about who you are? Who is, who is Troy? What is Troy doing at the moment? Man, okay, this will be one of those like really broad brush, just like silly answers. And then you'll be like, you said this, you said this. But so basically, I'm, yeah, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, like you said, I, so I'm the, the host of the Sick Ass podcast, which, um, which, which I'll probably, we'll probably get into shortly. Um, I'm also a research fellow. Uh, so my, my research interests are in... Um, just Pacific Islands health in general, um, but mostly looking at, uh, at this year, looking at education. So what parental education will do for children's health uh, in the future. So for their children's health. Um, and at the same time, I'm just trying to be like the best community member that I can uh, to various uh, communities of practice, either on the sports field, playing rugby, uh, or, you know, being a researcher within my institution, but also being a community member uh, with our Cook Islands community down here. And then just trying to you know, spread stories like you guys are with my uh, podcast that we have. And yeah, just anything that kind of comes up that interests me, that I, think, I guess that's a bit of me. Awesome. What, what a great way to start. And like I said before, it's a very broad brush approach, but um, there's so much depth there. Before we even talk about any of those things, that, um, I'd like to ask you the first question is, where is home for you? Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I, um, so 
there's like multiple here. So I could like Wellington, I consider home still, even though I have been in Dunedin for 10 years now. So I came down in 2013. Yeah, so about 10 years. Uh, and then I also have spent a lot of time in the Cook Islands as well. So my mum, we're from the island called Mo'uke. Mo'uke is one of the southern group islands of the 15 in the Cook Islands, which I, it's, it's one of my favourites. And then, uh, uh, in, so my mum now lives in Rarotonga, which is the main, so if you talk about the Cook Islands, that's the main, that's the, the capital island of the Cook Islands, I guess. Uh, so my mum lives there now, uh, and that's where I spent a lot of time, and, and that's where I spent um, a bit of my time for my PhD as well. Uh, so home, I guess, would be between those two. So Wellington and back in the Cook Islands. Just They're the ones that, when you go back, are so effortless. Like, you don't feel like you have to do anything to feel like you're back. Like, it's just you, you're there, and it was like you were there just yesterday. Whereas still coming to Dunedin, even though I've been here for 10, ten years, it still feels like, you know, I have to settle back in again. But those are the two that, when I go back, it's just, I'll wear back in. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. I like to ask that question because I have the same the same quandary. People say, where's home for me? I've been in New Zealand for what, 19 years, I think, but I grew up in Africa and mm. and I, I've been in New Zealand for a long time, but where is home for me? I, I really find that a struggle to answer. Um, yeah. But like you said, when you go back to your home home, which to me is Zimbabwe, I'm like, oh, this is just like normal. Even though things have changed around you, it's still like going back to going back home. And Tana, mm-hmm. I guess you feel the same. But, I mean, you've only been away for three years, I guess, but you get to a stage where you start questioning where home actually is. Oh, for sure. And especially, you know, because parents are still back in Taranaki, but yeah, having a new family in the sense of the word here makes it a struggle every time I go home. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And so um, I'm probably going to go back to your your stuff. So you, your origin story. So um, you started up in Wellington and then uh, what made you choose to come down? To, I mean, from the Cook Islands, Sunshine, Galore, Wellington, weather. Okay, we'll talk more about that there. <laughs> and then you choose to come down to Tanin to do your study. What, what, what made you choose that as a destination? Sure. So, um, well, I guess Wellington in general. So, like, we 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 come from Porirua, uh in the heart of Wellington. So, I guess it's a it's a Pacific hotspot. It never was quite. I think it was more like Auckland. People will think Auckland, but now, like, as we start to see the migration patterns and then people like more Pacific people coming down south. But Porirua like was the central uh, part in Wellington where we ended up. Uh, but then coming here was it was I wanted to do PE. I knew I wanted to do PE. Like I had. I've said this before, but I had a PE teacher who, instead of doing what they were doing, I wanted to be like him, so like actually like him rather than what his profession was. But being a PE teacher was also part of his profession. And at the time, uh, back in about 2012, like it was, there was no, it was a no-brainer. If you're going to do PE, um, there's a PE school at the University of Otago. And without thinking about anything, without having been to Dunedin, without actually knowing that like how this whole university structure works. I just knew that's where I was going to go. Uh, and then I knew that I just needed to put some steps in place to get there. So it was a very like, they do PE there? Oh yeah, sweet, that's where I'm going. I didn't think of anything else. And then after that, I got the uh, the entrance scholarship and then I was like, oh, well, that's a no brainer then I've got that. Um, so that's gonna make it as easy as possible. I didn't think like anything about, oh, I'm moving so far away, anything like that. I was just like, Otago, yeah, okay, cool. Oh, and were you the first in family to go to university or were you following a tradition of other people in your family? Yeah, so um, my dad, my dad kind of did, he did teachers college, but like his was a really long journey. Uh, he, um, he did the three year, I think it was the three year B.Ed. Uh, at Vic and then, but that was like a really long time. That, so pretty much my, um, my childhood from like eight years old till you know, 12 or 13, 14, like he was slowly slogging away at that as a single father raising us. So I got to, it became normal to be around 
tertiary institutions. Not that like he was researching or anything like that, but we were just like hanging out at the university because we had to wait for him to finish. So university for me, I was just like, oh, that's just what people do. So I was, I was very privileged to have had that, even though I saw the hard part of like him actually having to slug through it. Um, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I think everyone goes to university. Isn't, isn't that right? Yeah, isn't that crazy? And then, and then now when you reflect on that and you, you're now in your space where you're at the moment, how does that make you feel? Because actually university is not something that a lot of people think, especially from, from your community. Yeah, when you go back yeah, to yeah, yeah. No, um, it's, it's weird. It's, it's very weird. And it makes me appreciate my environment that I was given. Like it's, it's always, it's always one of those things that I think when you reflect, you start to notice that like, wow, you were so privileged to have like all the experiences that you had, the exposure to different things. But like, yeah, now that you're, you see, I think you come through it and you're less naive and you're less like kind of, yeah, naive to the fact that this is a very privileged place to be and only some people get to do it. Then that kind of gave me more drive because I think I noticed it in my first to second year where like, oh, not everyone comes here. And then that's what made me feel like, okay, I can either, like I either belong here or I don't, or I can keep going and make it a space where other people who are like me can belong. So that was my, that actually ended up being a drive. Yeah, awesome. And I, and I guess that that is a fantastic segue to your research at the moment with educating parents. How, how does does that? How do you find that with that research that you're doing at the moment? Yeah, well, it's just it's it's interesting because you can look at, like we use big data. So I don't know if you're like big data has so many limitations in itself. But what we can do is we can look at kind of trends, and we look at you know if you have more educated parents what does that actually mean for the health of the children that they have, so in Pacific families? And like you, you do see that, so some of the work that we have been doing, just looking at different health outcomes, and there's a clear, there's, there's almost a clear or sometimes controversial, like you're not sure whether it goes up or down, but education has so many factors uh, that are going to change different, um, different variables, so like your socioeconomic status or, or maybe even your health literacy. So your health outcome is actually going to uh, be better so I'm not going to say it's increasing because if you say increasing could mean the opposite but anyway you have better health in general if you have if your parents have greater education um, that's for a whole host of factors but when you do look at it you, you start to see that there's something else at play so yes we can get people more educated but that doesn't mean that the you know the inequity or the disparity between non-Maori non-Pacific and Pacific actually gets even so now you start to see oh there's something else at play this is a systemic thing or is there something like that so yeah i mean that's it's, it's the it's the eye-opening stuff but at the same time you're like you have to start somewhere to be able to unleash that sort of stuff yeah and i guess that's like everything in life you know you know you know what you have to do but why are you doing it you know you have yes. to exercise you don't need but why don't we do it mm. and we know that education i mean everybody knows education is good but why what's the barrier you know like yeah. so what is the barrier for that to happen and um and one of the perceptions as well around education, you know, especially living in, the, in a country where there's, we have, we're such a diverse community, you know, um, mm. we're Maori Pacifica, we have such a diverse Asian community, you know, it's it's so crazy where education takes on a whole different meaning in different societies. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, you look at Western Western education versus, say, Maori education, you know, I go to mm. lots of lots of kuras and they say mm. to me, hey, um, the science we teach here is based on our traditional science. And taking that to the Pakeha world, that doesn't doesn't work. So you know, there's a bit of a conflict right there, as you say. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, that's really interesting. So we hey, I look forward to seeing what that research brings up for for Ooh. everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No pressure. <laughs> uh, so uh, and then you you come to Otago, you're doing your PhD school, da 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 da, and then um, the idea of postgrad and PhD was that something that just 
popped up with you or did you have an opportunity or did you ever think you'd be doing a PhD, I guess? Oh, yeah. So I, it, it became, it was one of those things where I just first, I just needed to get to uni to see what that was actually going to be like. But I remember telling my parents, like telling my mum, because my mum never had a formal education past um, high school and telling my dad, because, you know, seeing how hard it was for him. And I was just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess this is something that we, we could do. But I was like, always said that I was just going to do my master's. Like I said, that's my goal. I want to do my master's. And I think it was because that was one step above anything that I had known at that point. Yeah. And then coming down, you know, you start doing stuff, you start seeing like, oh, actually I, I can have a good go at this. Cause I had a, you know, my dream was I just wanted to be a PE teacher. And that was because you know, I didn't do any sciences at high school. I didn't, I didn't do, like, I didn't do anything to see like you can be anything beyond a PE teacher. All I knew about PE was that you become a teacher. Um, and I think that was the like classic thing. You be a PT or you become a teacher. And then when I got down here, I did hubs. And, you know, that was the one paper that everyone was telling me like, oh, you haven't had a science background. It's going to be tough for you. Ended up getting an A. And I, had, uh, I was just like, I love this stuff. This is awesome. Like I was actually learning it. And then I continued learning it after. And I was like, what can I actually do to, to learn more about this stuff? Um, so I got, I got into exercise physiology. Uh, and then past that point, I was like, hold on. This stuff leads to health. That's where, why you do exercise. And that's why this can make that better. And then I was just like, this, this is the way to go. If we, if we keep doing this and keep getting people more active, there's, put, there's potentially some sort of life-saving factors in here. And because I work in my community and I do all this stuff anyway, this can actually provide the scientific background for a lot of stuff that we do. Um, and then I just had really supportive people. Um, I had Te Koronga, so the Māori Indigenous uh, Research Theme. They pretty much like let me do a lot of stuff with communities. And that was the work. I think, yeah, I had really, really cool stuff in terms of the papers that I was doing. I was learning a lot um, theoretically, but then actually being able to go in and do stuff with communities was where I was just like, is there a way where you can actually like do this stuff, but also implement that other stuff? And then they said, yeah, well, if you do postgrad, you know, this is where you can actually answer those questions. So I was just like, well, sign me up for that. So yeah. <laughs> crazy. And it's, yeah. it's so crazy how that happens, you know, along the journey. And Tana, you're at this point in your life right now with your third year. Yeah, I think as you say, Troy, you know, like you always think of, oh, we're just going to get our degree and then seeing the next level above it, um, which for me is going to be honours hopefully next year. Um, but yeah, it's, you never know where the journey is going to end. And, you know, when I started, I never thought that postgrad would ever be an option, but here we are. Mm. Yeah, and I think I that you like having some sort of being open minded to that sort of thing as well. I think, you know, you come down here, especially if you're leaving home and coming here and there are some families and I know I've, I've experienced that where, you know, you can only be away for so long. Like it's such a huge commitment or a huge sacrifice for people to come down here to start with. So doing the minimum. So just like, I, I can only do three years and then I need to go back home. Um, so like maybe that, that next step is, is more of a sacrifice that you have to take to be away from your family longer. Um, but at the same time, like having, <clears throat> having that option and actually being aware of that option, I think that's still not something that like, getting to uni now is like that's huge in itself so hopefully soon like we said if we just keep getting more like people rolling into it then like okay the extra year that extra two years is going to be something like okay that's that's what we're going to do um and then we'll have more people going into that postgrad year yeah and i think it's a shift of mindset as well and this is a question i'd love to ask you because i i worked in the space with young people and i was speaking to one young person yesterday and they were talking about oh i can't be at university longer than three years because there's debt and in my mind, I was like, oh, I don't know. That's that's a that's a negative way to think about it. What are your thoughts about that? You know, um, the whole 
still a known thing and dear to yeah. me. That, no, that I was, but like, I think it's all about leveraging your advantages. Yeah. So if you, like, you know, you're going to get that, but like, like anything, if you invest in something, there's going to be some sort of risk with it. And yeah. then, but like, maybe we're not told that because maybe we've never dealt with that amount of money before. I remember the first time I had to do a budget sheet and I was like, yeah, that's probably like 500 bucks. And they just like, all right, so we're going to put 15 grand towards that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never, I've never conceptualized that before. Yeah. And then when you start to think like, oh, it's going to be $30,000 to do this. You're just like, holy crap. Like, I'm never going to be able to buy a house because like, that's a huge amount of money. And I think it's like where we are at those different points of our lives, but also not, yeah, not understanding that when you do get this, this is what can lead you to a job, which gets you paid more, which in the long term yeah. is going to be. And I think long-term thinking is something that's still quite difficult for a lot of people. Um, I, I run into that with behavioral change, you know, people saying, okay, uh, I want to do this. Do you reckon in two weeks I'll be like sprinting? And I'm like, ah, oh, this is more like a six month journey. And then they're just, oh, that's too long. I can't do that. I got to go find something else. So I think it's, it's definitely understanding timeframes, understanding the length that things take in terms of like having to work towards that time and then being able to conceptualize what that actually is realistically rather than just like the huge magnitude at the one time. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, that's the law of the compound effect. You know, you do one thing at one thing a day and things will mm -hmm. change. But but humans are, we're just um, greedy for things happen straight away. You know, we're like, oh, oh yeah, it's, it's got to be today. Otherwise, I'm not doing it. And that's, uh, mm -hmm. and like you said, with behavior change, you know, healthy, healthy diets, going to the gym and things like that. It's If I've taken one pill or done one workout, that's it. <laughs> I'm not healthy. Bring it on. Um, yeah. It doesn't work like that thing. And you must see that across your, both of you must see that across across the young people and the people that you, that you meet. Um, yeah. And then you, so you have this opportunity to do a PhD. Um, how did that feel? Because I mean, you know, when you when you get offered the PhD offer, it's quite a amazing moment, you know, because not everybody gets to that stage where you are actually offered a spot in a PhD program. Yeah, for sure. So I, um, well, I was finishing my honors, um, and my honors was really cool. I really enjoyed my honors year. It was it was looking at uh, Pacific research methodologies and models of health and how that can be applied into the physical activity setting. So how you could de develop a model where you can like be culturally sensitive in terms of Pacific um, communities, but then also um, making sure that you are, you know, uh, the scientific side of everything. You're keeping people safe in terms of their physiology, anatomy, and everything like that. So I got to combine my two worlds of understanding science from like a Western perspective, but then also cultural obligation uh, and community. And then after that, there's the the HRC. So I always shout out Health Research Council because they've, you know, they helped me through my summer studentship, and then they ended up you know, funding my full PhD application. Oh, wow. And my difference is I put that application together with an idea of stuff that I'd already been doing. And it was like all from me. Whereas most people who would go in, they would like have an idea and then their supervisor would say, we've got these ideas, which one would you like to do? But I was very stubborn and I've always been stubborn. We're like, no, this is what we need to do. And there was a lot of question around it. Like, okay, but it doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. And I'm like, don't worry. It, it's, um, this is going to work. And I just had this, this faith in myself and my supervisor, as soon as they got on board, like I started having more and more belief that this is going to be good. And then you put it in and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But then, you know, you get to the email, we're good to go, fully funded for three years, have a crack. And I, I was like 23 at the time when I got that. So I was just like, okay, cool. I've got, I've got stability for the next three years. I wasn't 
like you you get there and it's such a huge relief that you've got the funding but then you realize oh no now i've got three years that i actually have to put this idea into work so i was just really excited about the whole thing but at the same time i was, i just saw it as a huge opportunity to to be able to change the narrative i guess around what is considered scientific awesome and that's that's such, and i mean the awesome thing there is that you had belief in yourself and sometimes mm. you know we human nature we don't believe in ourselves we require um you know um others to say hey this is all good or permission for others to say this is all good or we require other um acknowledgement mm. but but you know we spoke about all the positive stuff which is awesome but what are the what are the, the challenges so you know you've been you're confident you're positive but the phd journey or actually the research journey is not all hunky-dory it's also it's a roller coaster yeah, yeah. yeah so what are some of the challenges that you've faced when you i guess at each any stage yeah well the first the first is not seeing anyone like you so like I came, I came to uni as an 18 year old with a full sleeve and leg tattoos. And, you know, I was just always pinholed as like, are you, are you footy players? Like, are you just focusing on footy? But like, I actually really enjoyed university. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of other stuff is, is like, just feeling like, so my ideas, for example, of what I wanted to do and what, what was the right thing to do, uh, were challenged a lot. There's just like, yeah, but uh, like there's a the, this introduces a bias this introduces like this sort of thing and, and in terms of like keeping the scientific rigor of different things that was the difficult part I think more the intellectual stuff of everything was like very difficult but also then celebrated when it was when it went well so I was just like I would hate to see what it looked like if it didn't go well because like I I am on the positive side of everything now I guess my my reflection now looking back is like yeah it went really well but at the time it was difficult to try sell an idea to, to, to try to be like this will work because it hadn't been done before and it hadn't been done before in the world so i became the leading expert in working with these different communities using physical activity um so that was difficult trying to sell it because you know in your heart you've had the right consultation you've had the right people back you but the people who actually fund it the people who give you the okay who give you uh, the grant to actually or the ethics even to even go and do this like we approve your research to go forward they are people who don't have that same um, extent or that knowledge or that cultural knowledge or competency that you have or that your community has actually granted you so that was difficult because I like I knew that um, culturally this is what we need to do but I need to write this in a way where it will be acceptable for the people who are who are going to over uh, pretty much oversee the entire thing but like I said, every challenge that I had, being able to get through it was, just, was then like, oh, cool, we, we can actually game this. Like, this is, this is part of the game. We just have to use these words and, and use these phrases to still reflect what we, need to, what we need to do. But then at the same time, you know, we can still fulfill the obligations that we have contractually. Um, so that was a huge struggle. A huge, another struggle, I guess, was, was go, going through it and feeling very alone. Uh, there, there were two types of alone that I felt there was there was physically alone because like I was my, my supervisor's only PhD student only postgrad student I think at the time and in terms of the postgrad projects that were going on they're like different labs of where we are and those lab groups are so tight they're going out like every week and having morning tea and and then someone's birthday comes up and they go out for birthday drinks and you're just like that looks fun I would really enjoy being part of something like that um, because it's cool in undergrad, you, you're going to different classes, you all meet your classmates, there's at least 30 of you, uh, and you're all working through the same stuff. But like intellectually, then this is the next part is intellectually, I was very alone, because I had no one to go back and forth with, with the ideas that I had. 
and you can go crazy. You can, like, I mean, I talk to myself anyway, but you end up finding solace in your own thoughts by talking to yourself, who's then going more crazy. So your thoughts become more and more crazy. And then you start saying, and then then you spiral into this, like, maybe this isn't even a good idea. So that cycle happens over and over again. And you're lucky if you get out. And then there are just like a few gems that happen along the way, where if your head's so deep in your own thought, you actually don't see the good stuff that's happening because you can get really caught up in that. But I think intellectually and, and that loneliness is probably the biggest struggle because the actual research that I was doing, I loved it. I really, really loved it. But what I couldn't do was step away from it. Like it actually became me and it was all I was. And that's something we'll get into after like talking about the PhD. But after it was my hardest, probably one of the biggest struggles of my life was like finishing it because then I felt like I, I eroded, yeah. like I was gone because my PhD was me. And then I yeah. got rid of it and I'm like, well, what do I do now? Who am I? Yeah, it's, it's so hard, you know, and I, and I resonate with that so much because I had the same when I was going through my journey. I was the only one of my, one of my students, my supervisor, my topic, one of my supervisors didn't agree with it. So that was always right. a challenge. And then, like you said, you know, when you finish it and you submit, you're like, okay, cool. I've lived this, this journey for three years. It's what I eat, breathe, sleep, think about. Now, mm. now what? Who am I? What is this? This is so crazy. And um, yeah, I'd love to know how you, how you, how you then, so you, you have your identity as your PhD, Troy, the PhD student is doing this year. And then that, Okay, you've got it now. Now what happens? Now you're just Dr. Troy. Oh, now what happens? Because you know, everyone yeah. thinks it's, it's like it's like the old adage, you know, when you climb a mountain, you get to the top, and oh damn, there's another mountain to climb. So, mm. you know, when you when you're doing your when you're doing your undergrad, you go, I've got my honors, then honors, I've got my master's, I've got my master's, my PhD. Then you go, I've got my PhD, oh, the world is gonna open up. Oh, it doesn't actually open up. <laughs> it doesn't open up. Oh, now what, what now what happens? How is yeah. how is that for you? So you you graduate, you walk down the street, then um, yeah. boom things change yeah well even even that um i've I've spoken about it a little bit but i I think i'll go through i had a horrible time uh getting my phd across the line because so i submitted well on time like i was actually about two weeks two weeks earlier than my submission date uh that was all good and then i was waiting for my three reports so all right so just for listeners after you're like you go through, you submit your PhD, you think that's all gone, uh, all done, but actually there's a process where you submit it, it gets marked. You then have to do an oral defense, so you meet with your markers or your examiners, uh, and then you t- you chat back to them just about a few things that they have in terms of their report, and then they'll say you either go and do this or they'll give you the okay, okay, looks great, and then you can sub- and then you can finish it, and then you're done, and then you can graduate, and you're officially a doctor after that point. I was waiting for three three reports. That took about six months. Two got back within the month. One just like said it was submitted, but didn't. And then that was a really long process waiting for them. Then I missed the first graduation because I didn't have my reports back in time. And I was like, that's annoying because I really needed to get that so that I could get employed for this other thing. Uh, And then that we ended up just getting rid of that report altogether. So I'm just like, so we didn't even need it. We've been waiting this whole time. I missed out on that. And then I had one, so my my PhD is in physical activity and we were very specific that it's only physical activity, specific communities and in the Cook Islands. We, we, we clearly stated there was nothing to do with nutrition whatsoever. We're not nutritionists. That was a huge limitation of the study. That's fine. One of my, so like they said, it's flawless. Great, great, great. But one of my examiners was very nutrition heavy and wanted a nutrition section and I think I was a bit too 
I think it was because of my conduct when I was in my examination where I, I pushed back on it quite a bit. And then it's like, it's, it's not usual that it goes back to the examiners where like usually just your convener will, will get your changes and then say, yeah, that looks fine. He asked for it back and just delayed it. So I missed the next graduation. Uh, and then it ended up being like an entire year to the day that I submitted and then I ended up graduating a year after. So I was over it at that point. So you finish your, your PhD, you're like, yeah, this is great. But because I went into academia, having that process for me was the best thing that could have happened because I just know this is what it's going to be like. You have, like when you're submitting papers, when you're publishing, all that sort of stuff, it's, it's a bunch of people who have subjective thoughts on what is the proper thing for to, to come through here. So like your papers could be great. You could send it to 10 people. They all say, this is, this is phenomenal, man. This is Nobel Prize right here. Then you get one examiner who you know, didn't eat their breakfast that morning, under stress, reads it, trash. No, don't like it. So it, it's just like that. And, and that's the world of academia. And I got to experience it as my first like thing coming out. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I think I'm ready for this. And that's so crazy. I, I have to um, say kudos to you because I had the exact same experience with my PhD, but mm. I, I wasn't like you. I, I gave up on it. This is ridiculous. I can't, I can't. I had no one on my side battling with me. So I had the same thing. I had two reports that came back straight away. One was flawless, happy days, which I was like, oh, this is interesting. Because I was like, I'm sure there's spelling mistakes, but that's okay. <laughs> one, one was minor changes. And I was like, I expect excellent. And the other one was like a whole, and I was like, holy. But it came back to me eight months later. A bit like you. Oh, I submitted him, And then I was like, and by that time, I, my head had moved on. And I'm sure your mm. head would have moved on in a different space. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, my one of my supervisors didn't back me up. And that was it. And I just, I just said, I can't, I can't do this battle here. And um, yeah. Yeah, so I just moved on. So I always regret that because I would have, like you, I should have just taken taken it to them and been like, but I had moved on to another job. I had da da da, and I was like, it's like, oh shit. So um, you know, it's it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, but it's pretty, it's pretty crazy that um, one person in academia, one person can dictate how your life just goes, and that's quite scary, you know. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I, that I that I find really challenging in academia, you know. And mm-hmm. I find the same thing as when you submit um articles to get published. You go and then you get one person going. Actually, you spelled this wrong. You said this wrong. So I disagree with you. And you're like, oh, what? Yeah, um, it's so crazy. Um, so Tony, you got you got to look forward to that then. You know, this is great. <laughs> Exciting times ahead. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, hey, uh, so I hats off to you for fighting for, for finding that battle there and getting to where you are because it is it is quite a challenge, especially like you said when you when you do when it's a lonely road and mm. you have to just your own conviction just pushes you through. Well, hopefully, yeah. For sure, yeah, yeah. And then so yeah, after that is when I was, I was pretty lucky because I was kind of getting lined up. So I started looking at opportunities for employment after it. And um, it just happened so that one of the guys that I work with now, he's like one of the only Pacific statisticians, like one of very few Pacific statisticians. And he was just like, I, I've got a project, I've got full funding and we're looking for a research fellow. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then like what, what I didn't know was that he was saying, hey, can you be my research fellow next year? So I was very lucky to, to have walked into that. But we had published a paper together looking at um, quantitative, like using Pacific methodology in quantitative research. So that's where I got into big data after that point. So I think that was an unreal experience as well because we would, I don't know if you would have had it probably during your PhD experience or just most postgrads, you know, that, 
it's they're not it's not a it's not a good sell i think like the marketing of it is so horrible you're just like hey you come in it's a lonely road so hard oh my gosh you do oh, i don't know why you'd want to do this oh how employable are you not very and then they just like they're telling you that and then they're like oh it's the last six months uh you could get bursary we're gonna have a workshop on how to be employed because you're not very employable and you're like what why, why do i even sign up for this this is <laughs> So crazy, right? It's, it's a negative selling point. At the st- but at the start, they're like, "Yeah, this is great. This is awesome for you." And then the last six months, you're like, "By the way, uh, just kidding, just <laughs> kidding. We got you in." Um, that's it. That's cool. So you, you you've done that. You you did that there. Awesome. Um, and then what is the impact for you as you started going to your community? Because you you all your work is in the community. Now you've got this, and now you're a leader in the field, which changes yeah, the, whole, the, whole, the whole story. And that's the stuff that drives you. That's the stuff where, like, no matter the negative stuff that comes up, unless the negative stuff is from the people you're trying to help unless they're telling you no 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 don't do that um like you, you're just like well i need to go on somehow because those are the people who are going to be impacted uh in the end and and this is something that shapes a lot of my philosophy on on my career is like it's not about it's not about your loyalty to institutions it's not about you know your your obligations to that sort of stuff because at the end of the day it doesn't matter if they're from another institution, but they're still working with Pacific communities. You have the same goal. So I don't, you know, I don't mind about crossing ties and anything like that. And that's my entire philosophy because everything that we want to do is so that we can help them. And that's because I'm from there. I'm from like, the community. I'm, I've been in the community and I've just worked my way out. And without them, I wouldn't have seen that this is a good idea. I wouldn't have seen that I'm actually someone who's capable of doing this. And they're the best people to go back to because they remind you of when you're moving away from your values. They're the first to roast you as soon as you step away from like everything that you said you would be about. So like being able to go back, like I got to go home to the Cook Islands to do one year of my research um, and all of my consultations. So before I actually started my PhD, I, I spent maybe like a year or two just chatting with different people about how I should go about this. This is what I want to do. This is my idea. And they shaped a lot of it. They ended up pretty much creating my project for me. And we were just like going back and forth, back and forth. And then being able to go back and actually deliver it. Cause every time I would go back or come here, they'd always be like, when are we going to start? When are we going to start? So like having that is the most fulfilling feeling. And then going back after it's all done, you know, and then them just being like, Oh, it's so good to see you. And nothing's changed. Like, yes, you, I'm a doctor now, but like you go back and you're still doing the dishes. You're still, <laughs> still taking the rubbish out, still doing all that. And it's like, that's nice because you know that it's having a positive impact and then like you can get the verbal stuff of people saying to you oh wow this is really helping but then also just seeing things live on so seeing things like actually have a positive impact and seeing it as part of their weekly routine is is the most fulfilling thing and that's why you know that's why I get into it and that's why I, I continue to persevere when it starts to feel like oh man this is this is really not for me but then I remember this isn't for me. This wasn't never for me anyway. This was for everyone else that I was serving. Yeah. And it's so it's crazy. That's, you know, we always hear the cliche, you know, what's your why? And, but it's, mm. it's, it's very important, you know, the why is what drives us in most things in our life. And if we don't have a strong why, we don't remember that, then we just stop or we just give up. Absolutely. Yeah. It's awesome that you've done that then. So you do this here, but now let's, let's take a bit of a divergence. So Troy the academic, Troy the athlete, but let's talk about Troy, the podcaster. What, yeah, what, is, sure. what, what was the, the driver to start a podcast? Yeah, cool. So I, um, I, I was, when, when was this? This was my last year of my PhD. So it was 
just before, no, uh, when I was in Raro, so 2019, um, I was chatting with one of my friends over there. He owns a gym and he was just saying like, we should get into the podcasting game. Cause like, there's just, you know, how many conversations you have, like every single person every day has awesome conversations with a lot of people. And you're just like, I think you'd pr everyone's probably been in a conversation now where you've just been in like the most in-depth conversation. You explored so many different rows and you're like, imagine if we recorded that. And then I just like, we should just record it. So that's what we ended up doing. And it was like another thing, because I'm very open about you know going to counseling and, and getting help for different things and just mentorship. Um, and then I realized like that's, a, that's, that's an avenue that a lot of people don't have access to. So I was like, well, what if I just get some of my learnings from there? package it because I'd like to do a summary of what I've learned in counseling that week or whatever week that I do it, package it and then end up putting it out as content so that people who don't go or don't, you know, don't like listening to the stuff that's out there and maybe someone who's a little bit more relatable, maybe, um, you know, can listen to it. And then that's kind of where it started. We're just like, let's talk about, let's talk about the things that we've learned this week. Uh, and then we'll put that out. And then it ended up just getting, I think it was really good timing though, because we, kind of peaked around the time that everyone was in lockdown and everyone was listening to a lot of podcasts right then. So yeah, that was, that's how it started. Uh, and then how it evolved was just like, Oh, we can do this. We can do this and having a bit of time to be able to put some, some energy into it. And then it kind of just got to a point where I was like, Oh, I feel like I can't stop now. <laughs> that's how it all happened. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and tell us about the name. How did you choose the name? So that, that was, I was, I was coming up with a, with a little jingle for the start. And I was just like, I, was, I sent through like a, a voice thing to my co-host at the time. I just sent it to him. I was just like, hey, like what we'll do is I'll say, Kyoto, I'm Troy. And then you say like, I'm Tyler. And then, and I'll say, and you're listening to, and we didn't have a name at the time. And I was like, and you're listening to the sick, this sick ass podcast. Like it was just a joke. It was more just me being like, so that's, that's, a, that's a gap filler. And then we're just like, Oh, we should just do it so i like typed it in everywhere i was like sick ass podcast and like the sick ass podcast i just kept typing it in make sure there was no other sick ass podcast yeah then we got we did it and boom it's so crazy that it happens hey so crazy yeah, yeah awesome and then so when i listen to your podcast i really appreciate the the when you talk about your your your, your packages like you say and um yeah. you know i really appreciate that but when you when you do it are you aware is it it's something that you when you when you go through the process are you are you thinking about okay cool like can talk about some podcast or does it or does it happen afterwards you know so what am i trying to say i'm trying to say when you go through your through your through your counseling and what you have to know what you're going to are you going cool this is good for my for my podcast or you just in the moment of your counseling you think about your lens come back yeah no no no. it's um so usually it'll probably be like a month or so after yeah. that so like because i go fairly regularly yes. i've got like things that once I figure it out, like, okay, that's what I'll do. And this is how I've implemented it rather than just being, because what I didn't want to do is, is put out all of this you know, information. This is great information, but not be doing it. Yep. So I wanted to make sure that I'd had a couple of weeks of trying to implement that. And if I haven't implemented it yet, then I, I won't, I won't release it. It's only like a click away or a photo away or a video away from someone just discrediting you because you've gone and done that. But that's not what I do. It's more just so I can keep myself accountable and can actually do that stuff that, that makes me feel good or the stuff that I've actually spoken about. And I find that talking it out, finally being able to put it out there for everyone, it's actually more for myself. As, as selfish as that sounds, a lot of it is like, maybe I haven't quite got this right, but when I'm speaking through it, like 
if you listen to it, it's the hugest tangent of all time. All it is, is like, I have an idea, then something comes up, like I see a fridge for sale and I start talking about fridges, then I'll come back again. And it's just how my mind works. So I think it's, it's quite therapeutic for myself as well. But yeah, like I said, I, I'm in the moment when I'm learning about anything. And then once I feel like I've got a good grasp of it, because I've actually lived it out for a bit, done a bit of journaling on it um, and actually spoken through it with myself, then I can be like, okay, I can record this now. Which is very cool because, you know, like you say, a, a, a podcast is like a conversation and any conversation gets going to tangents, you know, fridges or the sky or whatever. Um, and when you try, I find, well, actually, we both find when you start structuring it, because at mm. the start we were structured, we were very structured. Okay, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to change this quite a bit. So, um, yeah, so I really respect the way you've done that. Mm. So we've got that there, but what about Troy the Athlete? So you've got Troy the Academic, Troy the, the Podcaster, then Troy the Athlete. I mean, this is, I mean, there's more to Troy than this here. <laughs> but let's the athlete. Um, what what is your what is your jam there? Because um, you know I've seen in your in your in your podcast on Instagram you show us your time in the gym. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I well I've always been an athletic kid. I've I've always always been outside. I don't think it was because I loved sport. I think it was more just because I hated being at home. Like we were those you know back in the time back in the days. Tanya, you might not know this, but we we used to you know go outside and put, no, it's just kidding. um. <laughs> But we, you know, a lot, a lot of our time was was how how long can we stay outside for so that we don't have to come home and you know not having phones, not having anything like that. So, believe it or not, I was I was a competitive skateboarder for a little bit. Uh, so I used to compete in skateboarding. I started when I was about nine, uh, and I competed maybe from like twelve to fourteen, fifteen. Um, and then it just got to a point where I was just getting so banged up from that, but I wanted to play rugby. So I was in the Wellington Academy, and then came down here and I just gave all rugby like away. I was just, my body was just pretty messed up and um, head stuff as well. So like I wanted to do well at uni. Uh, and then as soon as you have a really bad head injury and you just like don't know where you are and you can't, you're sensitive to light and you can barely read, which is like a fundamental part of what you're meant to do as a student. And I was just like, oh, I'll give this a little bit of a break. So in that time I started to be uh, competing in CrossFit and CrossFit was like, I, I just, I think I'm so competitive that, I, will, I was really enjoying at the gym, but I knew that being at the gym, you know, the, the, old, the old classic saying, you're only in competition with yourself, which doesn't drive me enough. Like I like to be in competition with other people and there's no better way to do that than to like put a time up or to put a score up uh, in CrossFit. So I competed in CrossFit for about four years, which is probably the best thing I could have done uh, in terms of maintaining my physical uh, body for my return back into rugby. Uh, so yeah, so playing rugby now and I think now post PhD where you actually have work time and then trying to shut off time because in, in academia where you can always be working <clears throat> it's like an assignment it's always hanging over your head I could be doing more but if you have to go to track if you had to go to practice you can't be focusing about that so I really I used it as a as a as a tool to be able to just take me away from my work but then I just fell in love with it again um yeah, and just and just play it, and you know the contact. There's no, there's nothing more humbling than just getting beat up, you know, every weekend, and and being able to put your skills to good use. Yeah, I mean, that's so awesome, Tony. Talk a little about that because you've come back to you took a break and you've come back into it just recently. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with the humbling statement. Um, getting back into league, you know, our team we're probably the smallest team in the comp. Um, coming at coming up against some massive boys, and so it is a humbling experience, but. It's definitely a fun experience as well, you know, yeah. and I think the other thing that I've always loved about sport, you know, is there's so many things you can take away from it that you can just 
put into your own life mm. you know the leadership the teamwork the being able to just keep going even though you know it can be tough you can be battling but you just keep going and after the game you know that's you know it's, it's finished you you come off with a lot of respect not only for the other team but your own team as well so mm. it's been really good just to get back into it yeah and and i think it's 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 different from you know your your intellectual pursuits where it could take years for people to kind of see like oh okay i see you got slightly better there but like if you pass it way better you you see it immediately if you if you put a kick in that goes well if you tackle well you can see like week to week improvements which is always nice but then if you're just like in an office slumped over and you're just like oh this is taking forever then you send it off and it like it's a huge process for someone to get back to you like having some sort of physical pursuit i think always is going to like ah oh, yes cool i'm getting better or yes i can actually like you see a tangible difference or a tangible change um almost immediately mm. yeah and it's real it's real it's you it's you it's you seeing it yourself versus someone else giving you that oh you've actually done well but you actually Absolutely. I, know, I know i kicked it really well um controversial question what is your favorite crossfit wad my favorite CrossFit wad. Yeah. You mean like the the trademark wad? Uh, yeah, the, the, the trademark one. Okay, yeah. right. Uh, I think short and sharp was always my jam. So like Fran, which is the twenty one fifteen nine uh, thrusters and pull ups. That was my that was my jam. I really really enjoyed that one. Um, just like because during it, it's almost probably why I like any sort of workout that you do. Where during it, you're just so amped and you're like, I could die but you don't die at the end and it's so short it's like you know sub three minutes if you're if you're getting pretty good and then after it there's like one whole hour of you not knowing where you are and it's just like i pushed myself there that's awesome um but yeah anything that goes longer than about six minutes i just hated it so oh wow so you want you're not like i love I, murphy's my jam i love murph i can keep oh, going with murph and murph and murph no, can, no, can be no. murph i mean it, it's great it's great during it but like the week after is horrible yeah. you're just like your hands are ripped your your triceps are just gone and then like your legs feel like cement which is also quite nice quite nice as well it's quite nice i, I don't know what we do i love every time there's murph I'm like yeah bring it on i love murph it's just for me it's my mind it's just a, your mind this is your mind you know especially yeah yeah those, that is a cool big thing. numbers those big mm. numbers there um so and then so now that you have you've you've started the podcast what is the um you have some amazing guests in your, on your on your podcast how do you decide your guests okay so this uh i get people who ask me as well as um i'll see people who are like i'll talk to people pretty much how it happened and you've you've probably gone through this as well where like you'll have people at the beginning who you're just like i know they'll say yes because you don't back yourself you're like oh like it's a podcast does anyone even know what a podcast is we're lucky now because podcasts are a bit more um a bit more you know everyone's got a podcast yeah Yeah. or people listen to podcasts so you you don't have to explain what it is anymore i remember like the early days they're like a podcast is that like a tv show like kind of like a radio show but it's not live but anyway so that was the first and i just got my friends because it was easy. I knew they'd say yes. And I knew how I could talk to them because I wasn't sure how I was as a conversationalist at the time. And then after that, once I, I think I had like maybe 10 or 15 interviews when I started to feel confident, you know, okay, people have seen this now. It's out there. And I can say, you know, I've had these guests on. And then after that, everyone kind of just ref, like referenced someone else. Yeah. And then I'm like, hey, these three people. So for example, having three different fighters on and then they all talk about another fighter i'm like well i should probably go talk to that person as well and then 
other people were just like, you should talk to. So as soon as you finish, they're just like, oh, have you ever considered talking to this person? Yeah. And then that's kind of how the whole thing went is just, you know, I had guests on. And then sometimes, you know, energy wise, you don't feel like getting a guest on. You just want to talk by yourself. Um, so that's, that's how it happened. And I probably should put in a bit more effort to this whole thing, but you know, it just, it just happens to be working at the moment. So it just, it just yeah. flows. Yeah. It just flows. Yeah. Right? It just, just happens. And which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, I want to also ask you about your, your the mental health start part of your of your journey because that that's that's part of your story. Um, when did you when did that all start for you? When did you go? Actually, I need to explore this part of my life. Was yeah, there a um, moment that happened, or was it a? It, it's a couple of things. I think I was very aware of it. I started. I I remember my first like being in my first counseling sessions when I was about eight or nine, and you know my my parents were going through their separation, and then I remember my dad was very open to me about like what stress is, what depression is. I think, I think it was, it was more just because I was, I grew up with him uh, in that stage where they separated and, you know, I got to see the effects of, of what being uh, a solo parent could do. And he was very open with me about it. And I just, I was like, well, you don't know any different at the time. So, you know, I was going to his counseling sessions with him, all that stuff. And then just like hearing the word stress, hearing the words, depression, hearing the words, like all of that stuff. And then, so I was like, okay, well, there's that. All through my teen years, I was just angry. I was so angry at a lot of things. Like I'd just be triggered so quickly. And then I just started seeing that I was taking it into other things where like I was very good at being with other people. And then as soon as I was by myself, like I just have so, like my mind would just race into like, oh, you idiot, why'd you say that? Oh, why don't you do this? And just like, would really beat myself up about it. And then I think it just got to a point where once financial struggles came into it as well like not knowing whether or not i can stay at uni because i couldn't you know pay rent the next couple of months i was like okay this is this is bad where you start thinking it's easier to like quit something whether that be you know what you're studying right now or even like to the extent of thinking about you know ending life that sort of stuff is like oh, i need to do something because this is this is too much and sometimes you just need someone to talk to without feeling like you're burdening them because that was that was another thing I was very aware of is like, I was always like, why would I want to talk to my friends? They don't, they don't want to hear this side of me. They like the fun side of me. So I just like, this was the easiest way for me to like differentiate between being that person. And then it got to a point where I've actually never told this when I was, I think I was like about to do a master's. It got to a point where I was like, my, I think my uncle passed away and my dad was having heart complications. And I just remember texting one of my mentors it's been like, I don't know what to do. I, I just feel like every week when I'm doing this, like I'm getting further and further away from like actually being able to complete this. And then I was just like, okay. So I deferred my master's. I just said, I can't do this anymore. So that ended up having to go. And then I went to regular counseling from there. So I was about 22, 21 at the time. And then I just, from there, I was just like, well, this is what I need to keep doing. Otherwise I just, you know, get back into that pit again. So that's, yeah, that's how it all, it's, it got to a point where it was just really, really bad. Uh, and then I was like, I need to do something about this or it can get very bad. Yeah, totally. And I love, I love the way you, you mentioned that because, you know, um, a lot of us say, oh, we'll just talk to our friends. And when you talk to your friend, your friends, they get burdened. And that just creates another another, another situation. And But, you know, there's a whole stigma around counseling. Oh, that's changing at the moment, um, mm. which is really, really cool. And how did that, I mean, you, I, this is going to be a terrible word, but I guess being being brought up in the world was was easier for you. 
But suppose somebody else who has never experienced counseling before, and you know, there's a stigma about, oh, go to counselor. What would you say to them? So how I try to open, it's just like, just like anything, like even if you don't feel like you need it at the moment, it's just like, I think the vocabulary around like how you're struggling and knowing that any struggle is still a struggle. I think that's one thing is like a lot of people don't go, don't feel like they should go to counseling or they don't qualify for counseling. They're like, because, you know, I've never had these thoughts before or that like a lot of comparison between your struggle and struggles that you've heard of other people. Um, and I think the first one is actually knowing how to access a counselor. Um, we, it was very difficult for the first little bit because the, the counselors that I was being given, you know, either shared an office with people that I knew, like we're in the same building. So I'm just like, oh, what the heck? I don't want them to know. Or they like had a direct link to someone else that I had known. And I know that they'll be super professional, but there is like a part of you that shuts off and just make sure you don't say certain things because you're worried that that's going to happen. I think uh, the another one would be like the financial side of it as well uh, to be able to go get that. But like, there are so many, I think there's so many avenues now and just, you know, to know, like you service your car. Uh, not many people do this, but you like, you do that so that long-term it doesn't break down. There might not be anything rattling. You might not have a check engine light on or anything like that. But, you know, if you do this now, those things will never occur. And I think it's just knowing that it's regular, it's regular servicing of yourself to check in with yourself to make sure that everything is okay before it even gets bad. Like I, I still go when I feel like everything's great because I just like, I want to know how I can harness this or if out of the blue, something does happen. And then I just like, Oh, what? You're feeling great. How'd this happen? You already know. You've you've got things to talk about. Yeah, and I think it's, I think that's a, a great analogy because a lot of us don't do that. We we look after all the physical the mm. physical material things in our lives, but what about the number one physical thing? Yeah, we yeah. We don't do that there, right? And you know, yes, we might go to the gym, we might eat healthy, but there's also this is this is probably the most powerful tool that either goes or doesn't go. And um, yeah, it's it's really it's it's really quite scary because this can just switch in an instant. Absolutely. You know, instant. And, if you, and like you said before, if you don't know what the trigger is, hmm. that's when the, the spiral starts. Yeah. Hannah, what about, we, I mean, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Just really quick. Just, just on that, you know, you, you, when you said that, like it just clicked under my head. There's a new model out. So the person who came up with the Funofale model, uh, him and another person came up with a new mental health model where like, the, uh, I don't know it in depth, but what I do remember is that there are three strains that go through it, that weave it all together. And it's like a plat, you know, you have three different, um, strands that are in that plat. One was red, one was yellow, one was green. And one's like, so green being like positive mental health, you've got that all. Then yellow being like, oh, so-so. And then red being really bad. And what they've said is that like, all of your journey is, is all three of them interweaved where like, you're always going, you're going to have aspects of each of them in every day and every moment. And at different moments, it's going to switch and acknowledging that part of it as well. So you're so right. Like you could feel so on top of the world and then like just something happens and bam, you, you've switched. And it's probably because it's always been there, but you just haven't, it hasn't been front of mind because all the other stuff that's happening. So yeah, I mean, all of it is on a continuum all the time, but they're all existing at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive in terms of having good mental health or bad mental health. It's just all existing at once, but whatever comes to the fore is what's going to be kind of like the truth at that moment. So yeah, was a, that was a good point. How was it? Because you know, I, I went to a uh, mental training St. John's a few weeks ago, and they said the exact same thing. That, okay, we all have mental health. Mental health is 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 part of our lives, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. when people speak of mental health, it's, it's a negative a negative connotation. Oh, mental health. You're like, wait a minute. But like you said, we're we're on a continuum. 
mm. you know, this morning I could be over here, amazingly fantastic. And then after this conversation, but, oh, I should have said that and then go over yeah. here, overthinking things. So, but it's important for us to, to, to say that out there, people to go, actually, wait, it's not a bad thing. And it's just a thing. Mm. And then it's just where we are on that thing. It's a bit like, it's a bit like good and bad. I don't believe there's a good or bad decision. This is a decision you make. And then absolutely what happens after that is what happens after that day. And Tana, I guess you, 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 you've had to go through a few challenges recently with, um, what things happen in your life how did that how did that um affect you i guess yeah i think it has been quite a challenge um and that's where probably my first thing is usually i go to mum and dad and mum specifically um usually that's my first grounding point just to make sure everything's all right and in check um but that's something i have faced you know had faced challenges in the past and that's something where i probably should you know have gone to a counselor a few more times than i have in the past but that's something that i reflect on and you know probably should take advantage of and as Trey says you know you don't have to go thinking that you're going to share your whole life story or that everything's going to be fixed in one session but just being able to talk about the things that you think are important during that session is probably the biggest thing that we don't do with our friends because we don't want to burden them yeah and also fear of judgment yeah fear of judgment right you know we, yeah. we have the fear sorry Troy. yeah no like i was i was going to touch on that as well like that that judgment but also the um just feeling like you know that the being able to de- delay that gratification as well like i do think the expectations of anything that we do is like this is going to be immediate i'm going to go there and then i'm going to come out i'm going to feel like a million bucks to be honest those first couple of sessions you kind of feel a little bit more on the lower side because you've uncovered so much but like it's like anything you kind of need that to be to start the healing process and i think it is a healing process and you have to go through a bunch of things and just expose that stuff to yourself um, to be able to get to the proper root of everything. Cause I think we do treat the symptoms really well. Like we can, we can see, okay, this isn't going well. I'll do this. You know, people go, what is it, what is it called? Retail therapy, you know, all that sort of stuff. It makes you feel good in the moment, but in terms of actually getting a stronger foundation for you to have a proper relationship with yourself, um, that stuff is kind of missed. You know, maybe you could buy a really, you could put on that cool, whatever it is that you bought for the moment, feel cool for like five minutes. And then you're on to the next thing. Well, what do I actually need to, to feel even better. And some of it is actually those things is going in, having the deep conversations, understanding why you are the way that you are, which sounds really scary and esoteric sometimes. But I, I do think if you kind of fall in love with that process of just developing in most instances, you know, you do start to have a lot of compassion for yourself, but then you also become a really good role model or compassionate person towards other people as well, for sure. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and sometimes our daily practices help doing that. What are your daily practices trying to help you with this um journaling meditation what, what do yep. you do i have to move i have yep. to get out and do some sort of movement and that's changed i used to be very big into like just going to the gym and what i found out recently is that the gym's actually quite boring i you know 40 minutes max i'm in there and i'm out because i'd rather be outside doing stuff even if it's raining to feel the environment is, is one of my favorite things and just you know walking we have plenty of walks around here and just being outside uh that's a daily practice that I will not negotiate. And, you know, even if I'm at work sitting at my desk for a while, I'm very aware of if I've been sitting too much and all I do is just like go out and go around the block. It's not huge, um, but it's, it's something and it gets me outside. It gets me away from my desk. Um, and so those, those are, those are things having music time as well, like music time. Um, funny. I actually don't listen to podcasts regularly. I find that I then start comparing it to my own podcast and I'm just like, no, no, I needed to do this. Oh, I should do this. And then it's just like, it's a bit of a cascading thing here, but just having time set aside for music, like time to just idle 
and do less. And that's like, I, I don't care what I'm doing in that. It could be just laying there. It could be like, I give myself a little bit of scrolling time as well, um, but mostly just like doing nothing or setting, side, uh, setting time aside to like listen to music that I love listening to or just being by myself or, you know, being with friends or something and knowing that that's okay. I think that's the biggest thing is more like not necessarily what I'm doing, but the mentality that I have when I am doing those things. I used to absolutely beat myself up for having that time to myself and being like, you should have been doing this. You should have been doing this. Like you could be more productive. But then I'm like, productive for who? Like, who is this actually serving? Because I'm getting burnt out here. So just um, realizing that part and whether it's, yeah, whether it is just listening to music, reading a book, uh, talking with friends or anything like that. I've given myself that time and giving myself that grace. And then if it goes an extra half an hour because it's a great conversation, being okay with that. So that's, those are the daily things that I do. I definitely have to move and then definitely have to set aside time for myself to be able to do the stuff that I want to do. And that's awesome. And I think, you know, one of the key things there was just being present in that, in that time. Mm. When you go for a walk, just being present in the walk, listen to mm. music, being present in that time there. And like you said, we, we could go for a walk, but our mind's going to be on our work. Or it's going to be on, oh, I should have said that. But if you just go, hey, I'm out here in the rain, feeling the rain, ah, that's all good, mm. you know. Um, and that's mm. very hard for us to do. I mean, it takes, it takes training to do that, you know. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't happen overnight to go, I'm going to go for a walk today. It's raining. Oh, I changed my mind. Um, but, you know, I... I believe in the whole compound effect, you know, even if you walk yeah. for five minutes, then six minutes, then seven minutes, yep. but easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I just, I just had questions for you, for you sure. too. Like, you know, when you, wow, man, having a podcast, like being able to plug your podcast, when people say to me, Oh, he, he's, he's the guy of the podcast. I'm like, no, I don't, that's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. And then other people do go and listen to it and they do know about it. You know, has that been weird? I mean, you, both of you, in different realms, but also, you know, you have colleagues, uh, Tani, even for you, you're, you're with students all the time. And, you know, we all know at about that age, you know, people are so judgmental when they say mm. some stuff. And what has it been like, like knowing, walking around, knowing that there are people who are probably going to walk past you and be like, who's the baskets of knowledge, dude? You know? Yeah, Tani, you go ahead because you're more into it than I am at the moment. Yeah, I think it's been interesting. Um, like I do have quite a few friends and, you know, I try and plug it, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's still like, a stigma around like oh you shouldn't be put you know you shouldn't be blowing your own trumpet kind of thing and it's kind of like well there's there's only so, so many ways that we can get this podcast out you know and so trying to share that message and trying to make it normal you know because it's always like you know this is what we wanted to do and this is the message we want to share so of course I'm going to share it but it is it is a weird feeling and like the first time that someone came up to me and was like oh you you're on the podcast it was a surreal feeling because you know you never think that's going to happen but it's it's also a cool experience, you know, because this is what we want. This is this is the journey we wanted to go on. So it is, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and I'm gonna pull up there. I think um, for me, the hardest thing has been um, your university your university colleagues. I think that's the hardest one because they don't see they see it as oh, why are you doing that? You know, who are you to talk to other people? And um, you know, when I post on my LinkedIn, I'm always aware of I have a lot of university colleagues that are on my LinkedIn, and I'm always. My, well, I used to be very mindful what they would think about it. And some of them have comments back going, hey, you shouldn't be doing that there. But they're not, because it might, because it's really hard for my role, because this is not about the university experience, it's about mm. a person's experience. And if people find it hard to differentiate, they go, are you the Italian person? Why are you talking to a Vic person or a Auckland person? Or, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking about their Auckland journey or I'm talking about you as Auckland. I'm talking about the story that they have gone through to get to where they are. Yeah. And that, is, that has been my, my biggest challenge, you know, um, because when you see me, you see Otago, <laughs> sadly. Mm -hmm. But um, but 
conversely in the schools because I plug it in the schools because I think there's so much so much so much gold to everyone's journey and um, in the schools it's a very different story and you know different podcasts resonate with me and I and I'll say to someone like hey listen to Troy's story because this is what this is I meet a young specifically young person it's like hey listen to this is this is going to resonate with you mm-hmm. or you know someone who is um international students that hey listen to tiara's story because she went through the same thing that you went through you know listen to melissa's story you know she she had a crazy life but look where she's right now mm. you know so those are for me it's the stories that i can then share with these young people and then they come back and they go oh that actually resonated with me because you just pick and choose because it's i mean we have some had some amazing people that have some amazing stories when ethan spoke about his story you know we just normalize mental health and go hey this mm. is what mental health for young men are so um when I do the plug, I mean, every, every school knows about it now. I just plug it at the schools. But my colleagues are the ones that are that are the ones, that I guess, are my biggest barrier. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. And, 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 you know, one of the things that I've said to Tanya is like, you know, I would love, love for us to be profiled in the bulletin, but mm-hmm. I'm afraid of what the backlash of that's going to be. You know, there's that, mm-hmm. there's that double-sided thing. And I'm guessing you, you have the same thing as well in your environment. I was just about to say the same thing. You know, I could happily plug it to a bunch of people who don't have to see me every day. Like yeah, I yeah. will just get out there. And I'm like, yeah, I got a podcast and this is me, but because they don't know me and they're just like, oh, this guy's the podcast guy. Yeah. But with my colleagues, you know, especially starting it when I was just like a guy who didn't have a podcast to so then having a podcast and being the podcast guy, you know, a lot of people like, oh, that's, you know, he does this, he does this. And there were you know, a lot of people were very supportive, but you do get, the, and it's weird how you don't listen to the 95% of people who are just like, heck yeah, let's keep going. This is mean. I liked your episode on this. You're always like that 1% of people who are like, oh, that's weird that you have a podcast. And you're like, it is, it is weird, isn't it? And then you start, that's the one that's so loud to you. It's always the vocal minority that's just like, oh, well, I guess we have to hang it up now. So that's uh, always a, a, an interesting dynamic of, of who you actually feel comfortable with it being out there. And it's usually like the people who are kind of close, but not your closest and kind of far away, but not too far away. There's always those people in the middle who know of you, who then some, for some reason, you know, you, you're more aware of what they're going to say versus like the people who matter most. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's been a weird journey. It's been a very yeah. weird time. It's so crazy. And because I remember when I first met you, Troy, I did, it was like this, this is Troy, the podcast guy. And I was like, oh, this is a really weird, weird introduction. <laughs> When yeah, I mentioned yeah, yeah. the very first time, not somebody else introduced you. Like, this is Troy, yeah. you're on the podcast. Like, that is a very interesting introduction. Yeah. Like, who is Troy? <laughs> so, <laughs> so weird. But yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and with for 50 now, so yeah, I remember that. I remember that discussion. I remember Tanya, we sat down, St. Dave's, and we had a little chat. And I was like, you could listen to this one, give this one a go, because you were very clear with your intention. And I think it's still the same. Like I remember at the time it was like going through giving chats about, you know, what what people should be aware of when they're applying to university and all that sort of stuff. But now, you know, you've gone to the story mode. And I think this is exactly what happened with me. I had a back and forth chat. I had solo chats, but I didn't have interviews at the time. And was that like a natural progression because you were like, okay, I, I feel like we should bring other people to bring their stories? Or was it just because you like had a bit more confidence to reach out to people? I think it was just, so um, if I go back to, the, to how this all started, uh, this is a great origin story. So when we started, um, Tane and I have known each other for a very long time from, and mm. I'm very, very lucky. So, um, and I know that Tane um, has always had an empathy around how people feel and think about things. And I, in my space, I'm like, everyone has got a story, everyone has stories to tell, but I, how do I tell these stories without jeopardizing my Otago label? You know, because there's a, brand, there's, a, there's a boundary there. So I couldn't just put up stuff there. And one day Tane said to me, hey, I met this young person who was crying on a field 
and you know she she had a, she, she shared a story with me but i shared the fact that this is something that everyone else goes through mm. and then tana said to me hey i want to start a facebook page to just talk about people's stories and then at that moment it's like hey tana let's talk about the facebook page let's not do, are you keen to do a podcast let's do a podcast together and i said i love to do but i don't have the capacity to do all the, all the things i mean I, i'm happily to chat to people but the other stuff i can't do as you know it takes a lot of time and effort to edit things and put things up and and luckily Tana said yes and then we said okay we're just we're just going to talk about Otago we're going to talk about Otago and talk about things that Otago you know scholarships accommodation mm-hmm. dates blah 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 and then we did that there for the first three or so and then we realized actually this is not this is cool but it's actually not giving anyone any real content unless you're an Otago person mm-hmm. and then I then so I said hey Tana let's just have people on our let's just talk to people because they have stories and that's how it all started it's and yeah. that's and it started we were like we're going to talk for 10 minutes yeah. And then we said 20 minutes. Yeah. And then now it's just exploded to survive along. <laughs> I was I was exactly the same. I think there's just like that initial belief of, of knowing that, you know, you're like, oh, you know, people maybe this because i know this because i'm comfortable with this and you're like ah maybe this and then like you just start getting more and more like oh we could do this we could do that and i think that that like unlocking that potential of yourself and just seeing that and just getting to a point where like you're like oh we can just do this yeah that'd be fun oh yeah we can how about we look at that that's when you start knowing like okay i was meant to do this this is great yes and and i guess i don't know whether you felt the same thing as well because um as you started doing it, people started getting more excited to be on the podcast. You know, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, cool, let's invite Baba. And they were like, oh, we're excited. I was like, wow. And yes. then they, sh- they share with all their friends. They're like, oh, I guess I was on a podcast. I was like, oh, I was like, but it's just Tani and me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you would have got it. You know, the first couple of people you either messaged or, or chatted to, you know, the first, I, I'm interested to hear what your, like the responses were like, hey, we had this podcast. I was wondering if you would like to come on. Like what, would, what were the main things, like responses you would get when you would ask people? Oh, the, the early stage would be like, oh, we've got no time, or, uh, <laughs> or what, what do you have your podcast? What's your podcast about? There would be lots of questions, lots of questions yeah. about it. And then it's all disappeared. As you started to, as they started to see the podcast, because now we, mm-hmm. we show them it's the podcast, and then they get they get jumped on. But some are still pretty shy. They're like, no, I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. That that part was always the one that hurts me. I'm like, what do you mean? You have so much to say. Like everything yeah. that you've been through, you could tell me about your entire day, and that's yeah. a podcast episode in itself. I think. Yeah, I think when we start changing that narrative around, you know, what is podcast worthy? What is story worthy? Because everyone's, everyone's stuff that they share, that they've learned, it's just like, that's so deep, that's so insightful. But because you live it every day, you don't think it's important. But, you know, you give people that platform to be able to share that, which is awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's been quite the, quite the journey. And the ones, that, the ones that say they have nothing to share are the ones that share the most. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, so sounds so crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's been quite a journey. And it's, it's you know... Um, I said to Tane, they was like, oh, we've got no guests coming. I was like, oh, we have to keep going. We have to just find, we have to just keep, because it's very easy for us to stop, to lose momentum. You know, when you mm. you miss a few weeks, you know, oh, okay, cool. Now it becomes, it's a bit like anything in life. When you start, stop doing things, you go, oh, maybe next week, maybe next week, and then it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. So I was like, Tane, we've just got to keep going. We've just got to keep keep finding people. And even if we don't find anybody, we're just going to, we're going to talk. We're just going to get yeah. them, just talk. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's been, it's been fun. Awesome. It's it is very good. And I think, um, you know, just it is exciting. And I think as long as you as you stay stay on top of it and, and just keep, you know, keep pushing, because I know I've had it multiple times where I'm like, eh, I don't even want to do this anymore. And then I just like drag myself in to do it or do a solo or do a, do an interview. And then after it, I always feel so much better. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. I, don't, I actually do love the, doing this. I'm just stressed right now. And that was actually a really good outlet. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. This morning I was like, oh, I don't feel like. <laughs> and then once you're in, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This is, this yeah. is so, this, you know, why you do it, right? So, mm. um, we could keep chatting forever. We've been speaking for 90 minutes and I know Tana's going to disappear soon. Oh, so we're going to. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. Um, but, but before we go, um, all our guests get asked this question. Yeah, and all of them have said this is one of the hardest questions to get asked, so which is why mm. we love it. Our podcast, as you know, is called Bastards of Knowledge. And we'd love for you, Troy, to share some piece of knowledge that people could take up into their basket as they live their lives every day. Something from your world, something that, that's resonating with you. Mm. I think my my one is really being true to everything that you, you know. So everything that you carry with you, it was, it was like what I was saying before, with your story, with everything that we that you have, that you carry with you, is such, is such has so much richness because you've experienced it. Your cultural capital, your, so, your social capital, everything that makes you you is unique. And the more we start to believe that within ourselves, we know we can take that into different spaces. So mine was a bit more, you know, it's, you, you see it more because I brought Pacific knowledge into science and I made it a central part of my PhD. There was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of people saying, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. But what they didn't know was that I could do that. Science maybe couldn't do it, but I could do it because I had grown up with it. This was me. I have the community to back me to be able to do that. So everything that's part of you, everything that makes you you, makes you unique. And that's all amazing stuff. And I don't think, like, I think it's going to be more and more normal for you to bring that part of you to any circle that you go into. Um, so, yeah, not having to leave as much of yourself at the door anymore to be able to fit whatever mold, whatever stereotype or whatever uh, is, is the norm, I guess, in that sort of space. So I think that's the knowledge that I that I carry. I managed to do it. I managed to make a career out of it in terms of academia. Uh, and I continue living by that every day and just remembering that there are a bunch of people who went before me who wish they could have had this. And there are a bunch of people who went before me who who gave me the knowledge that I do have. So I think um, putting that, like leaving that aside is, is almost like a disservice to to a lot of the people who uh, sacrificed a lot for us to be here. So that's that's always, you know, what I would give out to anyone uh, and what I hope soon one day will be seen as like, you know, the norm and something that we kind of try to amp up a little bit more. So yeah, no, it's an awesome question. And, and that's so powerful because, you know, a lot of the times we live the life for somebody else, not the yes. life that we are. And it's um, that's such a great learning and it's a great way for us to, to wrap up. Tana, anything you'd like to add, say? I think it's just been awesome to, you know, resonate on how far this journey has come. You know, when we started, it was so small. And as you say, there's been challenges along the way. There's been times where, you know, we haven't got many listens and you start to question, you know, what's the point of doing the podcast? But I think now it's about, you know, we just enjoy having conversations and if people are willing to listen, then they're willing to listen. And that's been the amazing part. And so, yeah, thanks, Pradesh, for keeping this journey going. Yeah. Oh, no worries. I, I'm <laughs> going to go back in. I know I said this before, but I have to thank you, Troy, for starting, the, starting mm. this for us. So we, we wouldn't be here without you. So thank you very much. Stoked to be part of it, mate. Stoked to be part of it. Awesome. So um, this is a great place for us to round up. Um, to our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. Troy, thank you for jumping on today. Um, I'm sure everybody has found something that's um, resonated with them in some way or some form. And like we always say, don't forget to find something to put into your basket knowledge as we get to the next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Baskets of Knowledge. Yeah, we hope that you found something useful to put into your basket of knowledge. And as we said before, remember to put something little into your baskets of knowledge every week. And as always, feel free to like, comment, and share this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you.